Good morning, Journey. So you should know that the first few years of my marriage, I was scared to death to fly in an airplane. I didn't fly in an airplane until I was 20. And I was convinced that I was going to die every time that I flew in an airplane. So I literally, every time I took a flight, I would say goodbye to all the important people in my life. And not like goodbye, I'll see you when I get home, but like, this is it, kind of see you on the other side. I would literally write up instructions for Danielle and put them in an envelope. If the plane goes down for years, here's what, here's the 10 things you need to do, pay these bills, do this, call the life insurance guy, take a vacation, have fun. I mean, it was that kind of deal, like every time that I got on an airplane, and I would listen closely. Every time I got on an airplane, I wanted to know how to get off of an airplane. So like when the flight attendant was doing their little spiel about everything on the plane, I was locked in. I would memorize the little card in the seat back so I would know exactly how to get off the plane. I would get on the plane early so I could figure out which hand I was going to open the exit door with if I needed to go right or I needed to go left. I mean, I, I wanted to know. I, I would literally, I was the only guy on the plane who when they said your seat's a flotation device, like I would actually pick it up and figure out whether or not it could float, the little yellow thing you were supposed to put on, I'd always make sure it was there and do everything but blow into the bread stick so that it would blow up. I mean, I wanted to know how to get off of an airplane if I was on an airplane. And one of the instructions that was always given was this little guy. They said if the cabin loses air pressure, these little three masks are going to fall out um, in front of your face. You can take the mask, secure it around your mouth and nose and breathe normally. Yeah, right, if the plane's going down. And then pull these little guys right here to make it tight. All right, give it a little tug and air will start flowing. Then they'd say if you're a parent, make sure and secure yours first before you secure your kids. And for years, I wasn't a parent, so I just didn't quite understand how that worked or why that was important. And I asked a flight attendant one time, why, how come the older people have to put theirs on first? Like, shouldn't the kids be more important? And I'll never forget the flight attendant looking at me, and he said, well, you, you need to understand, you can't help them with theirs unless yours is going strong. After 10 years of doing student ministry, uh, before we started this church five or six years ago, um, the most frequent question asked to me by parents, hundreds of parents over a decade that came to me and said, I need help with my teenager. My teenager doesn't love God. What's the best advice you can give me for my teenager to love God? I would always want to pull out this little thing right here and say, you know what? You really can't help them with theirs unless yours is going strong. Like you really can't help your children love God Unless you love God and there's something flowing between you and heaven. We're going to be in the book of Job today. If you have your Bible, I want you to open to Job chapter 1. It's right before the book of Psalms. It looks like Job. If you're brand new to church, J-O-B is how you spell Job. Reach in your bulletin, pull out the sermon notes. If you've got our app, turn on our app. Everything on the screens will be downloaded onto our app. Because we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Family Strong. We're trying to learn how to fight for our families. And last week, we met a man named Jacob who helped us learn how to reset our families, helped us learn how to kind of call a timeout and reassess everything that was going on in our life so we could move forward in a different direction. And today, we're going to study the life and parenting of Job to learn how we can move forward. Next week, we're going to study the life of David. In two weeks on Mother's Day, we're going to look at two mothers, Zipporah and Rebecca. It's going to be a great, great series to wrap. But today, we're with Job. Now, last week, I asked you in your family strong moment to go away and come up with three words as a family that describe what spiritual success looks like to you and your family and your legacy. And all week long, people have been sharing their words that are just 
unbelievable. I want you to know that my word for my family, we ended up choosing four instead of three. I was going to choose a word. Danielle was going to choose a word. My kids together were going to choose a word. Their word was not cooperation, and they just refused to take the other's word. So we have four words now instead of three. But my word for my family legacy was the word Sabbath. And this week on our podcast, our Activate podcast, I take about five minutes and I talk about why my word is Sabbath and what that means to a family. So if you don't weekly listen to this podcast, remember like the next page of every sermon is our podcast. I'd love you to take 17, 18 minutes every week and listen to a little more background on the message. And this week you'll learn my word if you want to do that. Today we're in Job chapter one. And in Job one, here's what we learn about Job. In the land of us, not Oz, us, there lived a man whose name was Job, not Job. This man was blameless. He was upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons, God bless him, and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified early in the morning. He would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. You want to have a strong family? I do. Those of us who are married with kids, those of you who are single parents, those of you who are on second and third marriages, those of you who are grandparents, those of you who are single, those of you who are teenagers, almost everyone that I've ever met wants to be a part of a strong family. Do you want to be a part of a strong family? Do you want to learn how to fight with your family? Job teaches fight for your family, not with your family. We learn that. You don't have to be in church to learn that. Um, Job teaches us how to do that. And we learn two pretty valuable lessons today. Here's the first thing we learn about wanting to have a strong family spiritually. Number one, a stronger we always begins with a stronger me. Regardless of what position you hold in the family, if you want your family to get stronger, get stronger. You say, well, I'm just a 13-year-old girl. You want your family to get stronger, get stronger. You say, well, I'm just the mom. You want your family to get stronger, get stronger. I'm just the dad. You want your family to get stronger, get stronger. A stronger we always begins with a stronger me. You can't help them with theirs unless yours is going strong. A stronger we always begins with a stronger me. And Job shows us that. Job had a regular custom. We learn in Job chapter one, what was his regular custom? Number one, we see that he was an example to his family first and foremost. Job was an example to his family. And if you're a Christian, you should be an example to your family. If you're single, you should be an example to your workplace, to your world, to your neighborhood of what a Christian is. Job 1.1 says this about Job. Look at his example. In the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. He had his stuff together spiritually. If we were like Job, all of us would be better spiritually. That's what Job 1.1 is teaching us. Let's flip that now. If Job was like you, would he be better spiritually? For those of us who are parents, let's flip that. Are we an example spiritually? If your children next week prayed as much as you prayed last week, would they pray more next week? If your children next week read the Bible as many times as you read the Bible last week, would they read the Bible more next week? If your children talk to Jesus, talk to their friends about Jesus 
as much as you talk to your friends about Jesus last week, would they talk to their friends about Jesus more or less? Would your kids be more or less generous if they were just like you? Would your friends who are not engaged in church serve God, the church, the community more if they were just like you? You see, the first spiritual lesson for any of us is just be what we think people should become. And a lot of people say, well, I think the whole world needs to mature spiritually. Okay, well, if they were just like you, would the whole world mature spiritually? Or is me a part of the we that has to get going? Job was an example to his family. That's the, that's the questions of the yellow cup. If everyone was just like me, would they have a strong connection to God? I can't help them unless mine is going strong. You see, Job had a deep concern for his children. And here's what Job was concerned about. Job was concerned that his kids were connected to God. And Job was concerned that his kids, once connected to God, stayed connected to God. Job then is like every one of us in this room who is a parent. We want our kids to know God and to have God in their lives for those of us who are Christians. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. You're welcome here. You can come to church every Sunday. You don't have to be a Christian to come to church here, but we hope you'll learn enough about Jesus to want to have him in your life here. But if you're here and you're a Christian... You should want your kids connected to God. So what did Job do? Look at verses 4 and 5. A great lesson for every parent or spiritual influencer. Job's sons, for those of you like me who have a teenage son, can you imagine having seven? God bless Job. Job's sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them when the period of feasting had run its course. Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. What was his custom? He set an example for his family. Number two, he arranged for his children's lives to be connected to God. Do you realize if you have children in your house under the age of 18... Whether they're your children, whether they're your stepchildren, whether you're a parent with part-time custody, do you realize it's your responsibility to arrange your children's lives so they can be connected to God? We have four worship service opportunities every Sunday. Do you make sure and arrange your family schedule so even in the midst of the busiest seasons, you're connecting your kids on a pretty consistent basis to the teaching of God's word, to the worship of Jesus? Is it important for you to have a schedule arranged around making sure your kids are connected to God? For those of you with teenagers, every Wednesday night, our student ministry, Sunday morning middle school, Sunday night senior high. If you have a teenager and you say, man, I want my teenager to be connected to God, are you arranging their schedule, their work schedule, their school schedule, their ride-sharing schedule to make sure they're at a place where they can be connected to God? For those of you with kids in elementary school age and younger, do you have them signed up for Slam-A-Jamma yet? Is that week blocked off on your calendar so every day they can come and experience the most fun Christian party they're going to have anywhere in Lee Summit this summer so that they can connect to God? Are you arranging their calendar so that they can connect to God? For those of you who have teenagers, have you arranged for them to go to summer youth camp yet? Five days in a 365-day calendar that will do more for them spiritually than 52 Sundays or Wednesdays. Have you made plans to arrange for their schedule so they can be connected to God? Are you planning on having your teenagers take a mission trip before they graduate from high school so they can go to a foreign country and realize the world is bigger than metropolitan Kansas City? 
You say, well, my kids haven't, you know, they haven't told me they want to go to that stuff yet. Do you wait for your kids to tell you they want to go to school? Like, do you wait for your kids to tell you they want to eat their vegetables or clean their rooms or do their homework? Or as a parent, do we arrange things that will help our kids be successful in life? Are you arranging things spiritually? You see, it's, that's our responsibility, parents, grandparents, to arrange our child's schedule in their summer so that we can have the most spiritual impact in their life. It's our budget that's going to pay for some of these things that they need to do. We're the ones who need to call their summer coaches and say they can't play this week. They got camp. We're the ones who have to call their summer bosses and say they can't work this week at this minimum wage job because they got to go to camp this week. We have to call their summer school teachers and say they're not going to be there this week because this is really important to our family. Like It's up to us to arrange our kids' schedules to connect them to God. They may or may not choose to grab hold of Jesus, but we can keep pushing them to the front of the line to meet him so that maybe one day they will. We get to arrange our child's lives to be connected to God. And then we go the extra level like Job number three. We see Job also saw himself as a mediator between God and his children. Job said, I can do for my kids what needs to be done spiritually until they're ready to do it themselves. He saw himself as having the ability and the responsibility to go to his kids on behalf of God and to go to God on behalf of his kids. Let me say that again. Job as a parent said, it's my responsibility because I have the ability to go to God on behalf of my kids and to go to my kids on behalf of God. It's my job to kind of try to kind of keep them connected to one another. Did you read verse five? Said every now and then Job's kids would party a little bit. They might do some things that God didn't like. They might even curse God in the things that they said during the party. So you know what Job would do? He said after the parties, he would go to God and he'd say, God, I'm not sure if, you've asked, if they've asked you to forgive them yet. But God, can I ask you to forgive them? He literally went to God on the sake of his kids and said, you know, I'm not sure what they were doing last weekend, but I know when I cleaned up the house, <laughs> they might have been having more fun than they should have. God, would you forgive them if they did anything wrong? Have you ever asked God to forgive your kids because you feel you're a mediator between God and your kids for failing spiritually? He asked God to bless his kids. When his kids weren't worried about God's blessing, Job was. Job's like, God, will you bless my kids? I know they're probably not thinking about this or praying for this right now, but God, will you? Like, would you bless my kids because of me? Job asked God to protect his kids. When kids go out and do dumb things and they're not even worried about God's protection, Job would go to God and say, you know, it's my job to make sure God's paying attention to them. God, would you you protect my kids? God, would you love my kids? I know they're not on the same wavelength as me spiritually. But God, would you just keep loving my kids? He felt like he was a mediator between he and his kids. Like he was building up spiritual credit for his kids with God so that when they were ready to take hold, God would be there waiting for them. I had a friend who right after college bought like this really nice car. And I remember asking him, man, like how can you afford that really nice car like right as we get out of college? And he said, well, I've got like perfect credit and I was able to get a 0% loan. And I said, well, how did you get perfect credit? And he said, when I was 16 years old, my mom and dad took a credit card out in my name and, and they did not give me the credit card but they put the recurring monthly expenses on it and they paid it off every month on time for six years. And he said, they built me perfect credit because they told me, we don't ever want you to have a credit card. You don't need it, but you do need good credit. So we're gonna invest in this for you so that when it's time, you have what you need and you don't have any of the risk. 
How many of us are investing for our kids spiritually so that when they're ready to grab hold of Jesus, they've got all this inventory of blessing built up because their mom and dad have just been putting down down payment after down payment after down payment of prayer and forgiveness and serving and sacrifice on their behalf. That's what Job did. Job was a type of Jesus before he knew about Jesus. He said, God, I, I want to stand between you and my kids and I want you to help them. Job was a type of Abraham before Abraham was. God, I want to be a spiritual leader in my family. Job was like Moses before Moses was born. God, I'm willing to try to teach my kids who you are. Job was like a priest in Israel before there was Israel or priests who said, I'm, I'm going to represent my kids before you. It's, it's important to me that they stay connected to you. When we look at Job, we find out this family fact from Job. Basically, every parent is a pastor. Like everyone who God has gifted with a child has the responsibility to fight for them spiritually, to fight for their connection to God spiritually, no matter what. The most important spiritual leader in your child's life, if you're a parent, is you, not their pastor. You should be their pastor. And you know what? No kids should be further away from God than their mom's right hand, right hand to their left hand, their dad's right hand to their left hand. Because if a dad says, I'm going to hold on to God with everything I have, and I'm never going to let go, and I'm going to hold on to my kids with everything I have, and I will never let go. You know, my kids and God may never intersect with each other, but they will never be further apart than this. Because I am connected to God, and I am connected to my family. And at some point, maybe we'll all come together, but my kids will never be further apart from God than this. They may always be wanting to run in the other direction, but I got the back of their shirt tail. I'm connected to God. I'm connected to them. They're always going to have a chance. Because of me, a stronger me always creates a stronger we. And then we see, number two, that faith is caught through a family better than it's taught at church. So we see a stronger me always creates a stronger we, but faith is intended to be caught through a family better than it's taught at church. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 teaches us that. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn back to the left just a few pages. Flip back past Nehemiah and Esther and the Chronicles and the Kings and Samuel and Ruth and Judges and Joshua, and you're going to land in Deuteronomy eventually. It's about halfway between the front of your Bible and Job. In the Deuteronomy chapter 6, God tells parents, here's the way to help your kids understand who I am. Now, let me say this before I read Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is not a foolproof plan. Some of you are in here, and your kids don't love God, and it doesn't mean that you don't love God. Some of you are in here, you're a strong me, you don't have a strong we. What we learn in the Bible is that we can work to arrange our kids' schedule. We can work to arrange our marriage. We can continually push people to God, but eventually they have to take hold themselves. And there was a family with a mom by the name of Eve and a dad by the name of Adam who literally lived in a perfect location with God who one of their sons just decided, it's not for me. So I don't want you to hear today, if my kids don't love God, it must be because I don't love God. That, that's not true. But there is a plan. If you're in here today and you say, I want my kids to love God, God said, here is the very best path to put them on. And we just hope sometime down the road that as you keep pushing them up to Jesus, eventually they're going to shake his hand, want to meet him, and want to follow him. What is that plan? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, God said, here's how you're going to build strong spiritual families. These commandments, God told the parents, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. 
Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Skip over to verse 20 now. God said, if you do this, at some point your kids will think you've lost your mind and they'll be like, why are there Bible verses everywhere? When that question is asked, why, are, why is there scripture like all over your life? Here's your answer. Verse 20, in the future, when your son asks you, what's the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws of the Lord that our God commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful... To obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This will be our righteousness. This will be our ability to claim God's promises. If I live this way as a parent and then you live this way as my kids, we have a great chance of claiming all the promises of God. God said live in this way. He gives us kind of a little formula, but here's who he gives it to. Do you know that every parent in Deuteronomy 6 was a first generation spiritual parent who had never seen faith taught in their family? None of them could do what dad did because none of them had a spiritual dad. None of them could do what mom did because none of them had a spiritual mom. None of them could do what grandma and grandpa did because none of them had a spiritual grandma and grandpa. All of these parents were first generation spiritual parents who had watched their parents fail spiritually. All their mom and dads had died in the desert because God gave them the law, said keep it this way, tell your kids so they can keep it this way. And the parents said, no, we don't want to do that. So they all ended up dying. So God came back in Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy means second law. The word D-E-U-T, like our English word D-E-U-C-E, easy for me to say, D-E-U, I don't even know how to spell it, I should have wrote it down, deuce. The Spanish word dose, it means two. Second law, God said, we're going to try again. We're going we're to try again, and we're going to see if we can teach parents how to teach kids how to love God. So here's how we're going to do it. And this time he gave them highly practical instructions. He said, here's the faith formula for parents. If you're in here today and you're a parent, here's your faith formula. If you're in here today and you're a grandparent, here's your faith formula. If you're in here today and you're a boss of employees that you want to know Jesus like you do, here's your formula. If you're a coach at a public high school and you want your athletes to know Jesus like you do, here's your formula. Number one, you first. Deuteronomy 6, 6, these things have to be in your heart. As a matter of fact, if as a leader or a parent, you try to teach kids something that's not in your heart, they'll see through it, they'll call you a hypocrite, and they'll run really far and fast. That's how it works. So God says, you first. Like, it has to be real for you. It has to be in your heart. If it's real for you in your heart, family comes second. Deuteronomy 6, impress them on your children. The things that are important to you, really make them important to your kids. You say, how do I do that? God said, faith is going to form in the home. He didn't say, send them to church. Church is important. But when this was written, there were no churches, there were no pastors, there was no temple, there was no centralized really religion outside of sacrifices at the tabernacle. So God said the only way another generation learns about faith is if mom and dads teach them. That's it. That's my plan. Jesus' plan is that disciples in the apostolic spirit would go spread the gospel. That's how the church would start. God's plan in Deuteronomy 6 was that mom and dads would tell their kids who would tell their kids who would tell their kids. Until Jesus came. 
So today we get to do both. We get to be in a church filled with the apostolic nature of the Holy Spirit. And as parents, we get to tell our kids. We get to do both. So how do we do this? Last week I gave you a family strong moment. I told you every Sunday I want families to go away and to build faith, talk about faith, kind of develop faith. So I ask you to come up with three words. I hope your conversations were as enlightening as mine with my kids. It was fascinating listening to them talk about what was important to them and what they thought was important to Danielle and I. This week's family strong moments are what I call faith at home tips. Deuteronomy 6 says faith forms in the home this way. Here's how you do it. There's four of them. You're going to see them listed on the screen behind me. And here's my challenge for you. I'm going to challenge you to do all of these one time this week. So four faith moments between this Sunday and next Sunday, I want you to do all of these things. Now you say, what are these things? Deuteronomy 6 says, here's how faith forms in the home. Number one, morning moments. God told the Israelites, when you, when you get up, you talk about faith. So okay, so like we have to read the Bible every morning? No, you can, but no, you don't have to. But it's important every, mom, every morning that you remind yourself and your family, we are a family of faith. The way that I do this takes less than 10 seconds every morning. My daughter very rarely ever will get on the school bus before I greet her, put my arm around her, and say a five-second prayer. God bless Casey. Keep her safe today. Help her to do good. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're doing in that moment, that five-second moment, is basically saying your dad and your God are for you today, all day long. You're You're leaving dad here, but God's going with you. We're a family of faith. This is important to us. My son, who I drive to school, he never gets out of the car before I lay my hand on his shoulder. Just say, God bless Christian today. Help him in his school. Whatever test he has, his sports stuff. Help him to have a great day and be a great example of what it means to be a Christian. He never gets out of the car. We don't go hardly ever a day without a morning moment. It's not a huge deal time-wise. It takes five to seven seconds. But every morning, I'm speaking into my kids like Deuteronomy 6 says. Talk about it every morning. Every moment, I'm reminding them, we are a family of faith. God is with us. God is with you. And I'm asking God to be with you. Secondly, I want to challenge you this week at least one time to have a dinner discussion. If you ever sit down to eat dinner, it said talk about it when you get up. Talk about it when you sit down together. Ancient families, when they sat down together, it would be around dinner. Our families probably don't sit down as much as they did. But even if you have dinner once... I want you to have very intentional discussions targeted at the heart of your children and the heart of your family. I had a mentor named Jimmy Dodd who runs the Pastor Serve Network in Kansas City. He taught me every night at dinner to ask my kids when we have dinner together, high, low, buffalo. It's like, high, low, buffalo, what does that mean? He said, every night at dinner, I want you to sit down with your kids and I want you to say, tell me what your high of the day is, tell me what your low of the day is, and tell me what your buffalo. And I'm like, what's a buffalo? And he's like, anything unexpected that happened that day, it just allows you to see from your child's perspective What's going on in the world? What's the good things? What's the bad things? And what's the things that don't matter? But it's like, wow, that was cool. Um, and I remember that. And then Danielle and I's family counselor, Rick Pierce, who spoke at our marriage retreat, said, in order to understand your kids' hearts, not just their days, when they tell you this was my high of the day, say, that's great. How'd that make you feel? When they say, this was my low today, say, oh, I'm sorry. How'd that make you feel? When they say, this is a buffalo, say, wow, that was crazy. What, what did that make you feel? Because so what you'll go is you'll go from events to emotions, and you can work with emotions. So when you, hear your, when you hear your kids say, you know what, this was really my low thing of the day, and you say, how's that make you feel? And they say, you know, it made me feel really unimportant. Made me feel embarrassed. Made me feel ashamed. Made me feel like I wasn't needed. It's like, wow, that's a faith moment that needs ministered to. 
when you hear them talk about their good, how'd they make they feel, man? It made me, you know, made me feel good, made me feel proud, um, made me feel alive. It's like, okay, I need to pour more of that into their life. It's just little faith moments in intentional dinner discussions. Number three, I want to challenge you to take what I call worry walks. Deuteronomy 6 says, talk about faith while you walk along the way. Now, we drive, but it's interesting what happens. When's the last time you, you took a walk with your son or your daughter? No phones, no TVs, no animal. You just took a walk. I have a dad in my church who told me a few weeks ago, this is brand new to me. He said, Christian, anytime there's stress between me and my wife or I can tell there's stress with my kids, I tell them, let's take a walk. And we leave the phones at home, we leave the TVs, the clutter, the pets at home. And he says about 10 minutes into it, when you can just kind of hear the wind blowing a little bit, you can kind of hear the birds chirping. He's like, the world has faded and all of a sudden you're just talking. And he said, I have found that my best times with my kids are just taking walks and just getting them out and just kind of walking and talking. Take a worry walk. And then number four, give a bedtime blessing. Deuteronomy 6 says, talk about faith when you lie down at night. That's a bedtime blessing. You know, I used to, when my kids were little, I would never let my kids go to bed without not just tucking them into bed, but kind of sitting on their bed for a minute and just, how was the day? What are you worried about? What's going on tomorrow? And just stopping to pray over them. Now that I'm old, they go to bed after I do. So they usually come check on me. Like they'll come upstairs and be like, dad, you know, it's like night, dad, you know, God bless you, dad. And they'll kind of put their hand on my head. They probably learned that from me. They don't pray for me yet. Maybe one day they'll get there. But man, when my kids were little, I used to never let them go to sleep without a bedtime blessing where I just, you know, pray over them a little bit. You should do that as parents. Say, man, Christian, I don't know what to pray. They don't know that. Just make it up. Like just, you just start praying something. Pray a prayer you know. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for the food earlier today. This is bedtime. Hey, you know, amen. It's like, you don't need to know what to pray. Just make it up. Google a prayer. Just make sure they're Christian prayers. So you're, like, you're not like praying to Buddha or something like over your kids. But, but just, just bless your kids. Did you have a good day? Are you excited for tomorrow? Are you scared for tomorrow? Next week, I'm going to give you four questions that you can ask your kids once a week to help it kind of expose their heart to you, which are awesome that I have learned to dialogue with our kids But just share a bedtime blessing where you say, all right, Lord, we just want to remember when we wake up and when we go to bed, we're yours. There's a fifth member of this family. His name is Jesus, and he's always here. We just want to acknowledge that. You know, for those of you who are parents with young kids in our children's ministry, I want to remind you that every Sunday when you leave here, we usually put in your hands these little papers if you have an infant and preschooler. That literally says, this is everything your child learned today. This is their Bible verse. This is their saying. This is the story. This is what you could talk to them. If you're like, I don't know what to talk to my kids about in faith. Talk about this stuff. For our elementary school students, we have the Parent Q app. It's an app, literally Parent Q, C-U-E, which is every Bible study lesson that your kids are learning. And even some of the songs they're singing, you can play those on your phone as you're writing down the road for your kids. Just faith at home moments. And what's going to happen is while you're trying to develop a home where faith is caught, instead of just having a church where faith is taught, all of a sudden you're going to find your faith growing and the stronger me is going to add to the stronger we. It's normally how it happens. I can't tell you how many parents have come and said, I need need Jesus to work in the life of my kids. And Jesus says, all right, I'll do that. But in just a minute, how's your faith? In Mark chapter 9, we see a dad go to Jesus who's worried about his son who's having epileptic seizures. And he goes to Jesus and he's like, if you can do anything to help my boy, please help. And Jesus says, 
What do you mean if? What do you mean if I can do anything? The dad's like, well, if you could do anything to help my son, like, please help. And Jesus said, oh, well, I can. But before we get to them, how are you doing? How's your faith? Because anything's possible for him who believes. So I'll help your son, but before I help your son, how are you? How are you doing? And the dad said what I think every parent sitting in this room says often when we're challenged like we are today. The dad looked at Jesus and said, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Dad, how you doing? I believe, but I got a long way to go. But he's basically saying, don't let my faith hinder you helping my child. Like, help me help them. And every time a parent comes to Jesus and says, help my child, I feel like Jesus says, I will, but how are you doing? I baptized one of, our, one of the moms in our church a few weeks ago whose name was Samantha. And when I read her story while I was baptizing her, I thought about the dad in Mark chapter 9 because her story was, basically, I got engaged because I wanted Jesus to help my daughter. And he really wouldn't go through me to help her without helping me first. She says in her testimony, I grew up, as I grew up, I attended church and I was involved in my youth group. But I wasn't a picture of what a person growing in Christ should look like. My parents' divorce had left me an angry teenager and I definitely didn't put Jesus first. Through my young adult life, I wanted to make sure my daughter was involved in church and had a relationship with Jesus. But after having infertility issues for many years, I wasn't even in a place where I wanted to put Jesus first. We started coming to Journey in 2012, but I still didn't fully engage yet. I did begin volunteering for student ministry so that my daughter would attend. It was at Go Tell Camp, our summer teen camp, this past summer, where I heard a message about the four chairs of Christianity, and I realized I was a second chair Christian. I'd grown up in church. I said I believed in God, that I loved Jesus, but I didn't show it or share my faith with anyone. I did not live out my faith openly. I was a lukewarm Christian. My heart broke as I listened to the message and took a hard look at myself. I knew then that I didn't want to be considered a second chair lukewarm Christian anymore. I needed to start living for Jesus and actively pursuing a relationship with him. A mom who said, I'm going to get engaged so that Jesus connects with my daughter. And a Jesus that said, that's great, but let's start with you. You don't go to youth camp as an adult so God speaks to your heart. You go to watch the kids. But Jesus, before he speaks to the kids, he talks to the adults and said, all right, I'll get to them. But how are you doing? So parents, how are you doing? Those of you in, who are in here who are Christians, how are you doing? Those of you who, who know that our world needs a deeper faith and you're worried about that, start with yourself. Develop a deeper faith because a stronger we begins with a stronger me. Those of you worried for your spouse, and we have a lot of couples in our church where a husband or wife is trying to push forward with Jesus and one has given up. You're like, man, I just wish my husband would come along. I just wish my wife would come along. Start with you. A stronger we begins with a stronger me. Just lean into Jesus. Those of us who are parents saying, how can Jesus help my kids? Jesus is saying, you know what? It's really hard to help with theirs unless yours is going strong first. Start with you. It's interesting. As I was reflecting on Samantha's story this week, I had a thought that I've never had in my life. I just kind of glanced back at the memories of my life because she talked about being at youth camp with her daughter. And I, I just had a memory and I thought, you know, I cannot remember a church memory that my mom and dad aren't in. My mom was my Sunday school teacher like every year of my elementary life. 
She's my Bible quizzing leader in the little Nazarene church I grew up in. Like my mom, there's no spiritual memory I have sitting in church without my mom there. When I got to middle school and high school, my dad was my youth leader and my small group leader every year that I could ever remember. They went on our mission trips. They went on our youth camp trips. I went back to my vacation Bible school days. My mom and dad were at everything. And this week it clicked for the very first time. I thought, oh my gosh, they weren't there for them. They were there for me. Like the reason I was there is because they were there. But the reason they were there is because they wanted me there. Because they knew if they just kept pushing me to Jesus at some point, I might say yes. If you're in here today and you want your kids to connect with Jesus, connect with Jesus. Say, how do I do that? Find out where their faith life is and sit down beside them on the carpet if they're a preschooler or sit down beside them at a little table if they're a third grader or sit down beside them at a small group if they're a middle schooler and just begin to be a part of and a cheerleader of their spiritual life. Do you know this morning there are some third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade boys back in our elementary school ministry that when the music starts, they stand up and they don't do anything? They stand there like this and watch it because they're not sure if Christian guys are supposed to show emotion and worship and have fun. You know what they need? They need their dad to stand beside them just one time a month. And they need to see him do the motions and sing and watch and they'll think, okay, that's what Christian guys do. And, and then they'll do it. They're just waiting for someone to show them. There's little girls sitting back in our infant preschool area that when they get the coloring sheet, they're trying to figure out how excited they're supposed to be about it. You know what they need? They just need their mom sitting next to them to start coloring and being excited about it. This is, okay, this is what we do. This is, this is what faith looks like. It's not that hard. It's just being very, very intentional. So let me ask you today as we close, what's God saying to you? You know, if a sermon goes right on a Sunday morning, at some point, I'll be in the background. Like at some point I'll be speaking, but you won't, listening, you won't be listening to me. You'll have stopped listening to me and it'll be like heaven is open and God will be like speaking to your heart. So like I'll be kind of in the background noise, but God's gonna be speaking to your heart. If that has happened to you today, what's God saying to you? Not me, not the sermon, but like what is God saying to you? And what are you gonna do about it? Like that's the movement of church. What's God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? It's that simple. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?